0: Today's reading is from 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. Listen now to the word of the Lord. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, will be guilty concerning himself, concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some of you ha- and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. The word of the Lord. The
1: Lord be with you. You forgot it's supposed to say, the Lord bless you been a while. Welcome. Uh, It's good to see everyone uh, here uh, at the seminary as well as uh, everyone on Zoom. Um, We're glad you could join us today to worship God together. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you again for this day that you have made and for this opportunity that we have to gather uh, as your people. And now, God, as we listen to and for your word, give us a word uh, to strengthen us, to encourage us, and help us to abide in you and in that word, that we may bear your light. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This is now the eighth sermon in a series of sermons I've been preaching on the topic of worship. Uh, Just to quickly review once again, we've been looking at three aspects of worship. The first is the posture of the body. Uh, We worship God by kneeling or uh, bowing. We also worship God by a particular orientation of life that of giving our entire selves to God with clean hands, a pure heart, we worship God in spirit and in truth. And third, what we've been looking at for the last month or so is this idea of worship as liturgy, this thing that we do together on Sunday mornings with our rituals. As we gather together, we talked about baptism uh, as an entry point and then prayer, praise, and last week I talked about the proclamation of the word of hearing, in particular hearing the word of God and the sermon. And today I want to consider together communion. So this Friday, I received an email, which I receive at the end of every month. Maybe a few of you have also been getting uh, this automatically generated email from our church. It reads as follows. Hi, Pastor Dave. You are scheduled to serve communion this week. You'll be standing at the far left when facing the communion table. For the full schedule, please look at. It's a slightly painful reminder of what we've been missing in our worship together. I doubt any of you will remember, but December 2nd, 2012 marked the first Sunday that we switched from our practice of having communion every once three in three months or so to weekly communion. I couldn't find out what percentage of Presbyterian churches serve communion every week, but I suspect it's a very, very low percentage, but making that switch to weekly communion, I think was one of the best decisions we made as a church. Many of you have told me over the years now that communion is your favorite part of our worship service. And what you miss the most when we move to online services was communion. And rightly so. Communion has always been very, very much at the center of Christian worship. As Paul states in our reading, it is a tradition that he received from the Lord. From the very beginning, from the Lord, what he also delivered to the Corinthians. Jesus, on the night of his arrest and betrayal, he shared a last meal with his disciples and instructed them to do this in remembrance of me. And the church has been doing this in remembrance of him from day one. Jesus said, this is my body and invites us to eat, offering his body for us. Jesus said he is better than the God-given heavenly manna which the ancient Israelites received in the wilderness. Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and explained in John 6, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. There is ongoing disagreement about what it means to eat this bread, this, the body of Christ, but all agree that Christ is somehow present in the bread. And as someone said, we don't have to understand the chemistry of bread in order to digest it and be nourished by it. And so we are. Jesus also said in Matthew 26, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. In saying so, Jesus points to the covenant that God made with the people of Israel during their wanderings in the desert. Exodus 24, and Moses took the blood and threw it on The people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Through his body, Jesus gives us eternal life. Through his blood, Jesus makes a new covenant with God possible. Furthermore, it's significant that the last supper was eaten during Passover, the foundational festival of ancient Israel. It annually remembers and celebrates God's deliverance of the people from Egypt and a life of slavery. It commemorates the angel of death passing over the houses of those who trusted God's word by painting the doorposts of their homes with the blood of a lamb. And Jesus now reinterprets the Passover and the Passover meal in light of his impending sacrifice and deliverance. He himself becomes the lamb whose blood will bring life and deliverance from sin and death. As John the baptizer and Paul uh, both said, Jesus is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the Passover lamb who has been sacrificed for us to save us from our sins. Similar to how baptism replaced and transformed the meaning and ritual of circumcision. So now the Lord's Supper also transforms the Passover meal in the covenant of Sinai. As John Calvin noted, the elements in communion are signs by which Christ seals on our conscience the promise of his goodwill toward us in order to sustain the weakness of our faith. Communion is a primary sign of our new life as the new covenant community of God which Christ makes possible. As I've said before, we don't have many details about early Christian liturgy and worship, but we do know that communion was central and observed from the very beginnings in their gatherings. In Acts 2, for example, after the Holy Spirit first fell upon the church uh, on the day of Pentecost, and Peter preached, and 3,000 repented and were baptized, we're told that the first thing they did was they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The church broke bread together from its first gathering as a church. They did this in remembrance of Jesus. And even before Pentecost and the church started, according to Luke, it was in the breaking of the bread that the first disciples recognized the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Emmaus. And in communion, we too come to recognize a resurrected Lord in the breaking of the bread. We can also see from the uh, from the Didache, a late first century church manual, um, that weekly communion was ordered in their life together. Every Lord's Day, gather yourselves together and break bread and give thanksgiving after having confessed your transgressions. Similarly. In Justin Martyr's Apology from the middle of the second century, which I talked about last time, the church continued this practice of gathering around the word, prayer, and communion. So that after the sermon and the prayers, bread and wine and water are brought, and the president, in like manner, offers prayer and thanksgiving according to his ability, and the people ascend, saying, Amen. The church of Corinth, too, was practicing communion in remembrance. But they did it in such a way that it fundamentally undermined the meaning of communion. And so Paul harshly corrects them. As you heard and as you can see, they had divisions and factions. They ate their own meals, with some overeating or overdrinking, while others went hungry and were humiliated because they had nothing. And this is a pretty terrible picture of the church and of communion. To put this in some context, we have to remember a few things. At this time, remember, there were no church buildings. So people gathered in someone's home. And so likely it would have been one of the wealthier members of the church because they would have had a home large enough to accommodate as many members of the church as possible. And also at the time, it seems like communion was eaten as part of the regular meal that they would share. And it may sound very odd to us, but it was a custom that when you held a dinner party You would seat your guests according to their status. So those who are more socially or economically or politically more important to you would get the best seats in your house. They would be given leather recliners, served caviar and steak, fine wine in the main dining hall. While those who are less influential, less important in your life, might be sent to the kitchen with folding chairs, with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and generic cola and women children and slaves of course would not even be included at all and it seems that something like this was happening in their worship and communion rather than coming together as one in breaking down the walls of separation their gathering seems to have instead accentuated their differences in socio-economic status perhaps Some of the more favored people were invited to come early, and they would start to eat and drink before the others arrived and would finish off all the good stuff. They were supposed to come together and create a different kind of community, equal before the Lord, with disregard for social status. But instead, cultural norms, contrary to the spirit of a covenant community, infiltrated and ruined communion and turned it into an occasion for humiliating some members of the congregation. And so, Paul calls them out. And in his critique, he calls for self-examination. He says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And I think this is the key in coming to the communion table. He calls for discerning the body to discern the body. I think Paul is talking about in in two senses. First, We must discern the body of Jesus, the body and blood of Jesus who died to make this meal possible and our salvation possible. We must come to the table, therefore, with appropriate reverence and seriousness, as well as thankfulness and joy. It was ultimately costly for our Lord, and we must not treat this flippantly or casually. We ought to approach the table with it least in the same way we would treat a meal that a friend has prepared lovingly expensively and time consumingly second we must also discern the body not just as the body of Jesus but as the body of Christ that is the church this is especially important for those who are more, who have more and who are in the position of hosting the lord's supper is a communal affair to be eaten and shared together. It ought to be unthinkable that people would eat before others arrive or to do it in such, a, in such a way that others are put to shame. Norman Wiersbe in his book, Food and Faith reminds us, food is God's love made nutritious and delicious, given for the good of each other. It is given for the good of each other. In sharing food, we make room for others. We participate in the eternal hospitality of God who daily sustains and nurtures us. It's like when you invite someone over for a meal and you ask them beforehand about their allergies and their food preferences. The good host will make every effort to prepare a meal that all can enjoy so that no one feels left out. Each of us is a part of the one body of Christ. Christ is not divided, and we must not be divided, especially around the communion table. By discerning the body in this double sense in self-reflection, we can avoid eating in an unworthy manner and potentially bringing judgment upon ourselves. As you can see, to eat in a worthy manner does not mean that you have to come to the table in a state of perfect sinlessness. It does not mean that you have to be deserving or worthy to attend to the table, to receive God's grace. That's nonsense. The point of the meal is that we are sinful in need of grace and mercy and are undeserving. It's not that it requires self-righteousness, but rather Paul calls us for self-reflection. Our discernment of the body of the body of Jesus cannot be separated from our discernment of the body of Christ, the church. The table requires both a thankful remembrance of Jesus and thoughtful care and love for all the members of the body of Christ, the church. And this is the reason we call it communion rather than breaking bread the Eucharist, or the Lord's Supper. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. This emphasis on oneness and unity And participation, this word, is a translation of the Greek koinonia, which we usually hear as fellowship. It's a word that means uh, sharing, of of partnershiping, of communing. So to have communion, this participation, means that we fully share in the life of Jesus Christ and with one another. We testify and bear witness together that in Jesus Christ, we are one in him and in one another. This brings us to our current situation. While we've been able to worship online and have now moved to a hybrid form of worship, there are elements of our worship we have not yet practiced in over five months. Out of an abundance of caution and safety over health, we have not extended the right hand of fellowship. We have not baptized our newest infants and we have not served our weekly communion. More than a few of you have asked me about communion and when we might have it again when we move to online services. As you might guess, churches and denominations have struggled with how to do communion during this pandemic and have arrived at different conclusions. Pope Francis, along with some church denominations, have encouraged the exercise of spiritual communion, that is to follow a liturgy of remembering communion. Our denomination, on the other hand, published what it calls an advisory opinion way back in March when we first went into lockdown. It reads, in emergency circumstances, there may be situations in which the pastoral needs of that moment require that the church take actions that run contrary to normal practices. During an emergency or a pandemic in which the church is unable to gather or advised not to gather in person for reasons of public health, a congregation's session may determine that this includes observing communion online. So, our denomination essentially leaves it up to individual churches and sessions to make decisions regarding communion, but notes that it is acceptable to do it online. A few of my colleagues in other churches have done precisely this. They ask the members of their congregation to prepare their own bread and their own juice from their own kitchens, and after the words of institution, everyone eats what they prepared on their own in the privacy of their homes. Some of my other pastor friends were not comfortable with this arrangement. And so they asked instead for their members to come to church to pick up individualized bread and wine in the parking lot of their church after the elements had been consecrated. If you haven't seen these uh, these individual look like this you get a little juice and so this way no one touches anything and it's safer or if you want to upgrade you can get now this these, this chalice form from another company a little fancier so maybe the corinthians you know some people would get this and the less important people would get the other one this report this approach reminds me of the story of david that jesus once told in defense of his disciples' questionable behavior. When David's life was threatened by King Saul and he had to hastily run away without any uh, preparations and provisions, he once asked a priest for some food. The priest didn't have any regular food available, but he did have some holy bread, the bread of the presence, which David and his men under ordinary circumstances would not be allowed to eat. But in that emergency situation, Both he and David deemed it acceptable and took that action that ran contrary to normal practice. And so as we are in an emergency situation, I agree that alternative forms of communion are acceptable during this time. However, even though it is acceptable, I do not believe it is necessarily needful or beneficial. And I've been really struggling with this as to whether or not this is something we ought to do or not. I've been reading, I've been talking with uh, different friends to try to find some guidance on wisdom in all of this. But it's the words of Paul's today that have spoken the loudest and clearest to me And this is where my convictions are today. While I believe it is acceptable accommodation to do some form of online communion during this lockdown, I believe it is better and more loving for us to suspend communion until we are able to physically gather together and have it together once again. In discerning the body I just can't get away from the actual physicality of the body, both in the elements of the communion and in the gathering of the body of Christ the Church. Sharing communion online feels like we are dangerously separating the body and veering too far toward a kind of Gnostic spirituality, toward a disembodiment of the gospel, which is no gospel at all. I was reminded that some of the children in our church like to play church or worship at home. I don't recall my children ever playing church at home, probably because they got the real thing often enough. And I was curious to see if your kids do that, who gets to play the part of the pastors of our church. In at least one family, when the kids come to the communion part of the worship, I understand that they pause and they make a crunchy sound together <laughs> because that's what they know about communion. I love that. I love that. When we eat the bread together and you, and you hear that sound, like the sound of, of the breaking of the body and that sound just reverberates in the chapel or in the fellowship hall, it makes the sacrifice and the body and the brokenness of the body that much more real the sound speaks to the physicality the materiality of our being and it's a sound that i think we need to make and hear together notice how often paul uses this phrase come together in our reading this morning five times it appears It's a word, it's a phrase that he hardly ever uses in all of his other writings. But five times here, when you come together, it anticipates a time when we will regather, when we will be remembered once again. So while you could eat alone at home, or while some of us, those who are here at the seminary, we could start eating just us, I ask that we wait and that we follow Paul's pastoral advice, verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Wait for one another so that no one is left out. Wait for each other. Wait until everyone gets there before you start eating. You should all eat together. Tarry one for another. Let me close with this. Communion is sometimes called the Lord's Supper, but we should probably call it the Lord's Dinner. Does anybody use supper to talk about their evening meal? No one, right? This week, I learned that the word dinner used to mean simply the main meal of the day. It didn't mean necessarily the evening meal. And in fact, prior to industrialization, lunch was the main meal. And so lunch was called dinner and dinner was called supper. And the meal that you ate in the evening would be a lighter meal, a snack really, because lunch or dinner was the main meal. It makes sense, right? Because that's, that's when you need the most energy. And when you're done, you just need a light meal. So supper was a lighter meal. I learned a really great example of this this week, uh, this usage of this word supper, in Marie Sandek's classic children's story where the wild things are. Uh, as you may recall this story, you know, Max makes all kinds of mischief in the day and um, he is temporarily grounded. He's sent to his room and there he uh, has this imaginative um, adventure in the wilderness and, and so on. And he's sent to bed as punishment without his supper. He's not being deprived here of dinner, the main meal of the day. He probably ate lunch, the main meal of the day. And so now he's not getting his nightly evening snack. So the punishment isn't that harsh or as harsh as it may sound if you're sent to bed without dinner. And actually, in this story, you know that when he returns from his adventures, the supper was waiting for him and it was still hot. So really no punishment at all but I I thought this was a great illustration. The Lord's supper will be waiting. It will be waiting for us when we return from our temporary exile, our time in the wilderness from our lockdown. And I love this idea that it's dinner and not supper or light meal. And I want to just uh, let you know that the Greek word that's translated as supper ought to be translated now as dinner because it's the word for the main meal of the day for them. So the equivalent today is dinner, the Lord's dinner. I like that because the idea of Jesus sharing the last meal as a full meal, like dinner and a sit-down meal, rather than a quick kind of you know, grab-on-the-go granola bar because you don't have time for lunch. I like that much better. Dinner or supper as the main meal of the day, which I think most of us look forward to, right? It's the meal that you can come home to and enjoy with your family and friends and guests, especially if you've had a a hard days or a rough day of work. You can come home and hopefully, even if you're late, maybe your family will wait for you to come home so you can share that meal together. You can all sit down and have a leisurely meal, talking about the day and enjoying each other's presence. That's what we have waiting for us. There's a great French word for which we don't have a single uh, one-word English equivalent. It's retroviller. That's probably a butchering of the pronunciation, but it means the happiness of being reunited with someone after a long time apart. Isn't that a great word? So let's, and let, so let's wait together in anticipation of this happiness of being reunited, of communing and sharing communion, the Lord's dinner together once again after a long time apart. Jesus will be waiting for us with bread and wine. He'll be waiting for us. It'll still be there. Until then... Please join me now in this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are truly present in the Holy Sacrament. I love you above all things and I desire to possess you within my soul. And since I cannot now receive you sacramentally, I beseech you to come spiritually into my heart. I unite myself to you together with all your faithful people, and I embrace you with all the affections of my soul. Never permit me to be separated from you, amen. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you once again for your word, and we thank you for the table that you have prepared, that you made possible with your life. Help us to remember and to look forward to the day when we can once again gather at your table where you will feed us once again. We wait with joyful expectation. And we pray together now the prayer you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.